Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. As we adapt in this season of pandemic, we are meeting in our house churches in person and online as a primary space for worship, formation, connection, and encouragement. Teachings like this are one way we engage with scripture seeking to become more like Christ. These teaching podcasts also serve as a conversation starter for deeper engagement at House Church. We're glad you're listening. Hi, everyone. Really glad that you have tuned in to listen to our teaching podcast. We began a new series last week at our baptism gathering called Joy Strength. Uh, And what a fitting space to start this series on joy than a baptism gathering where we uh, celebrate together and go nuts. And and it's such a space of joy for us as a community. Uh, If you weren't able to be there last Sunday or tune in, uh, we missed you. You can still check it out on Facebook. The video is up there and and I'm sure that Joel is working on another fantastic uh, video capturing the highlights of of another beautiful Sunday. But we, yeah, we're digging into joy strength uh, based off of an often quoted verse from Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Uh, we really want to press in and go deep with this. Our, our heart's desire is that this isn't just a trite or pithy statement, uh, but is actually a deep, deep truth that we can press into and experience the joy of the Lord in new ways uh, in order that we can be healed, in order that we can be strengthened and encouraged uh, to go out and join the, the creative, beautiful work of God in the world. Uh, even in the midst of lots of challenges and hardships of grief and loss, it's been a really tough year. Uh, and so we're not pressing into this to to say everything's okay, um, but to say it's okay if things aren't okay. But there is still a deep truth that the joy of the Lord is our strength and we can press into him and his joy in such a season uh, to uh, endure and to persevere and to overcome and to be triumphant in the face of these hardships. So I'm really excited about this series. Uh, Also, if I'm honest, really nervous. Um, But I'm I'm excited. Even Doug and I were chatting the other day just about how much um, we've been formed just in preparing for this and conversations that we've had and even in the the intro teaching about what what God is already stirring in us and, and hopefully what God will do in us as a community. Uh, So just to recap, um, joy is all about connection. Um, It's all about relationship. And and while joy is is an emotion, it's much more than emotion because it's rooted in relationship. Uh, It's rooted in attachment and connection. And we we use this definition, joy is being in the presence of someone who is glad to be with you. And we got that from a book um, called Does God Really Like Me by Jeff and Sid Holsclaw. But being in the presence of someone who is glad to be with you is the root of joy. And the truth that we see of who God is, is that God is always glad to be with us. God desires to be with us, desires for us to be with him. And the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the relationship that they have is defined by love and joy. 
So joy is the experience of being known and loved and knowing that you are known, loved, and that you bring joy to someone else. So it's not just an emotion. It does have an impact on our feelings and there is an emotional place for it, but it's much deeper and much wider. Um, It's not the absence of distressing things or tough emotions or hard things, but it's the presence of of another, the presence of God and also other people who are willing to journey with us because of love and joy. And it gives us strength because it's from that space of relational attachment and connection. It's from that space of our identity being formed as someone who is known and loved and who uh, gives joy to God. It's from recognizing that God is always glad to be with us, that we move out in strength to choose and pursue goodness and beauty, to choose that which is good and pleasing to God and that which is good and pleasing for us. So there's an invitation for us to to return to God and recognize that God is always glad that we come to him because he longs to be with us. He pursues us because of his love, his delight, his joy, and his desire for us. And the picture in Nehemiah 8, uh, again, just to recap, is they, they've rebuilt the temple. They've been rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem, uh, and they've been relearning the Torah, relearning uh, who God is and, and who God has called them to be. And they begin weeping over sin, lamenting the failures of their ancestors, uh, lamenting their own loss of identity. By, but Nehemiah exhorts them, saying, this is a sacred day. It's not a day for sorrow and weeping. It is a day for celebrating and feasting because we have come home to joy. We have returned to God and we have come back to the God who wants to be our God, who is glad to be with us. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I was thinking about... um, the 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 parable Jesus tells of the prodigal son and how much it I feel like it it relates to Nehemiah. It's in Luke 15 and it's a very familiar parable for many of us. But this this younger son who takes his inheritance early, uh, basically disowning his father, disowning his family identity to go out. Uh, and try to have some fun, chase really chasing after joy. Uh, but chasing after it in, in all the wrong places. And so he squanders his inheritance, and then he's he's in this pit of shame. He's in a pig pen uh, eating hog slop. Um, but it, Scripture says he came to his senses. Essentially, he remembered who his dad is. And while his sin and shame leads him to only hope that he can be a servant, he does realized that he could come home or he could go home and it would be a huge step up for him. Even being a servant would be a step up from where he's at. But as he is returning home, we see this beautiful, beautiful image of the father running out to greet his son, to welcome him home. And so I just want, want you to reflect on the question, what is the look on the father's face? when he sees his son coming and begins running to him. Friends, the look on the father's face, his joy and his excitement to be with his son again, I believe this is the look on God's face every time we turn to him. 
the party this father throws is a reminder of the lavish grace God extends to us because of his delight to be with us, for us to be with him where we belong in his house of joy, not in the barn, as Tim Culp would say. And friends, if, if we want the joy of the Lord to be our strength, we need to remember who our dad is. We need to remember who our Abba is, who God is. And remembering who God is, the look on God's face when he sees us coming to him, we remember who we are. So I just want to encourage you to take some time to read that story in Luke 15 and enter into that story. Picture yourself coming to God and see God's face light up with joy and excitement as he comes running to embrace you, to call you his beloved son, his beloved daughter. Spend some time, sit with that. Even if you need to stop listening to the rest of this teaching and do it right now, uh, you have permission to do so. But do it throughout the week. Do it a couple times this week. But I do want to uh, continue. I want to chat a bit about shame today. Uh, in these stories, in Nehemiah 8 and in the story of the prodigal son, we see shame at work. And, and I think it's important for us to realize that sadness and anger and some of those negative emotions are, are not really opposites of joy. I believe that the opposite of joy is shame. See, joy is being in the presence of someone who is glad to be with you. Joy is about relationship, connection, communion, being with someone for real or in memory, knowing that they delight in you and love you. Joy forms identity. It's not shaken when distressing things come. But shame is believing that someone does not want to be with you or is not glad to be with you, that you are not good enough or worthy to be in their presence. Joy is nurtured and grows through connection, it strengthens bonds, it strengthens each person, while shame disintegrates connection. It is the disconnector, and it grows in isolation. So we have a desire, an innate desire that God has created in us to be known and loved. And this is true joy, but shame tells us that if people really knew us, they would not love us or like us. <clears throat> We were created out of God's joy and to experience God's joy, but shame is an insidious tool of evil. And it's subtle and yet very effective and crippling. Kurt Thompson writes in a, in a great resource, a great book called The Soul of Shame. He writes, shame is the primary tool that evil leverages out of which emerges everything that we would call sin. Shame is actively, intentionally at work, both within and between individuals. Its goal is to disintegrate any and every system it targets, be that one's personal story, a family, marriage, friendship, church, school, community, business, or political system. Its power lies in its subtlety and its silence. Shame is evil's vector of disintegration of the creation, of the good and joyful creation that God um, started in the beginning. Shame is ubiquitous in its presence and infinitely shape-shifting in its presentation. It employs judgment in the form of condemnation or condes condescension, and it's self-reinforcing. We do something that causes us to feel ashamed. We hide to try to survive the moment to protect ourselves, but then we feel more shame, like we have to keep that hidden. 
we have shame that we feel shame and it leads to more isolation and more disconnection leads to judging, hiding, reinforcement, and isolation. Shame seeks to undermine the processes of joyful attachment, joyful connection, integration, and creativity. So the first thing that God says is not good in that creation account is that the man is alone, is not good to be alone. But shame is deeply committed to exploiting our attachment with one another, with others. And so it creates states of aloneness, of loneliness, either within us or between us. And most substantially, between us and God, isolates us from God. Shame is the voice that speaks to us. I am not enough. There's something inherently wrong with me. I am bad. I'm too much to handle or I don't matter. And it's, it's scary that in this season where we are more disconnected and more isolated, how much shame can wreak its havoc. And so we have to press into connection. And so joy and shame are really these opposites. And, and in the beginning of our scripture narrative, we encounter this joy shame battle. <laughs> I want you to read that creation narrative and and notice the joy of creation. See, I I don't think God, when it says God saw that it was good, I don't think God was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's all right. I think God is excited and is experiencing deep joy in the act of creation and seeing what God has created, recognizing its potential. There's great joy in that story. And then God is in the garden with Adam and Eve, and there's joy. Um, The picture in the garden is one of joy and deep connection. And the scripture says that Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, were naked and unashamed. They were fully known and they were fully loved. They were maximally vulnerable and intimately connected. But that word unashamed foreshadows what is to come. Because the serpent enters into the scene and raises the question about their worth, their adequacy introduces shame to Eve and Adam. Eat the fruit because there is a sense of shame that they might not be good enough for God, that they could be like God, and that's what God really wants for them. Eating the fruit leads to more shame. They can't be with each other. Now they're naked and open to judgment. They realize that they're naked, they're vulnerable, and it it becomes a place of shame. And now they've also disobeyed God. And so they had this double whammy of shame. They're not good enough in the first place. And now they did something that God told them not to. And they forget the joy of God and feel like they need to hide. So we all experience shame. Shame is ubiquitous. And it comes in big and small ways. I know for me, when I have a tough day as a dad, um, I get frustrated at my kids or sometimes I just legitimately screw up and and do something or say something that I shouldn't say. Um, Other times where I'm just not on my A game as a parent. And it's just incredible how subtly the voice of shame moves straight to this space of you're a terrible dad. So-and-so wouldn't have responded that way. If you were a good dad, you would have been laughing and engaging with your kids all day. 
you're not good enough. You don't have what it takes to be a dad. It's, it baffles me how quickly shame just takes, takes up residence in the spaces of my mind and my heart. I'm sure none of you parents can relate to, to feeling those things. Actually, I know you can because I've heard, I've heard some of you talk about these voices of shame. I've heard these challenges and I feel like it's been even more prevalent when we're, when we're isolated and we're called on to be more for our kids, to be their teacher, to be there, um, 24 seven. Uh, and I know other people experience shame in lots of different ways. So it comes subtly in small ways, but it also comes in these big dark places of both sins that we've committed and evil that has been perpetrated against us that lead us to hiding. Uh, evil being committed against us. And we feel like I must be awful if someone would do that to me. I must deserve to be treated that way to, or to have had that done to me. Or the things that we do and say, I could never be forgiven for that. If people knew I did that, I'd have no friends. God doesn't really love me because I did this. These are the voices of shame. They come in small and big ways and invite us into hiding to protect ourselves. But friends, the, in Hebrews 11, it talks about a great cloud of witness. And I need to remind you that that great cloud of witness, that hall of faith, that hall of fame in Hebrews 11, that is full of failures, people who failed, people who were prostitutes, people who were murderers, people who were deceivers. When we think about Peter who cut off a man's ear and disowned Jesus, we think about Paul who led the persecution who was the leader hunting down Jesus followers, jailing them and watching over their executions. And the scripture is also full of people who are victims of evil, abuse, neglect, people who were taken advantage of Hagar, Joseph, Tamar, Esther, Daniel, to name a few. But as Gregory Anderson Love writes about the good news of the gospel and the power of Christ's death and resurrection, there is no evil we might commit that is beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. And there is no evil we might endure that is beyond the reach of God's healing. Friends, God wants to touch those spaces of shame, those spaces where we've sinned, and offer his forgiveness, those spaces where we've been sinned against and offer healing. And the good news, the gospel message is that Jesus offers himself for the forgiveness of sins. He identifies himself with the victims of evil as he endures the cross and triumphs with resurrection. Through him, we are restored to our rightful place as God's beloved children. We are good enough in him. We are good enough in him and we can face those failures and we can, we can confess those sins. We are forgiven and we are renewed and strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so following that great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12 has these beautiful verses that talk about Jesus and it talks about shame and joy. 
Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Can you imagine what a joy place that is? Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Joy was Jesus' strength to scorn the shame and endure the cross. Joy was and is at the heart of God's relationship, his Trinitarian relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see beautiful, loving relationship in which none of them leave. They're committed to one another. And that relationship is is. is meant to be the ground on which all other models of life and creativity rest. In this relationship, Kurt Thompson writes this, in this relationship, the Trinitarian relationship of constant, self-giving, vulnerable, and joyful love, shame has no oxygen to breathe. So that's the relationship that Jesus is operating out of, this space of strength in the joy that Jesus has with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. So joy is the outcome of Jesus' awareness of his Father's absolute delight in him. The Father's delight in Jesus' presence and not just Jesus' behavior. And Jesus is looking at that joy, the joy of that relationship, and he scorns the shame. He's looking at the joy of welcoming us into relationship with himself. He's looking at growing that joy. And so he's able to look at the cross and say, I will scorn that shame. Endure it for our sake and for the joy to be made full. Crucifixion was a shameful, shameful death. He's naked, exposed, ridiculed, mocked, rejected. All of these are what shame is about. Crucifixion was intended to humiliate. The cross then becomes emblematic of shame. We're still embarrassed and ashamed by it in many ways. Any picture of Jesus on a cross, we, we cover him up, and, and that's probably appropriate, but there's a truth there that we don't really like the shame of the cross. But the truth is Jesus knows exactly what it is like to be us. He knows shame. He experienced it. He knows what it is to be vulnerable, to be rejected, to be disconnected from people he longs to be with. <clears throat> and, and he gives us this, this beautiful picture of scorning shame. He knows how frighteningly painful and hard it is to live into, to press into it into life, into connection because of shame's threat of being rejected, disowned, unloved. But it's to this God, the God whom we meet in Jesus, the God who pursues us in such a way that he's willing to endure shame, we must direct our, our attention so that we can experience the healing of our shame. 
So sin entangles and distracts us. It draws our attention away from God, where, and that's the space where shame can grow. It draws our attention away from God and God's voice and from the truth that God delights in being with us. So there's a call here for us to fix our eyes, our attention on Jesus, to do what he does, to act on God's words, telling him, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. That is the strength out of which Jesus operates. And it is this joy which provides the strength to scorn shame. And so how do we scorn shame? It's important to realize that scorning shame is an intentional act. It wasn't Jesus trying to avoid shame or trying to forget shame, but he scorns it. He identifies it and, and he looks to the Father. The joy strength that combats shame is the connection of being known which requires vulnerability. If shame wins by isolating us into loneliness and hiding, we scorn it by moving toward others with honesty and vulnerability. We allow ourselves to be seen, to be known. We expose the shame and we confess sin. So we have to pay attention to where shame is speaking to us and then actively scorn it by submitting it to God and by submitting it to one another. And then seeking the truth that God offers us. Shame hates to be exposed, to be called out. But when we expose it, when we are are courageous enough, when we have that joy strength to be courageous enough to be vulnerable, then we are our stories are reframed in light of our Father telling us that we are his sons and daughters in whom he is well pleased. We shift our attention back to the story that is true. We move back to that house of joy. We cannot do this alone or just with God. We need each other. That's why it talks about having such a great cloud of witnesses. We are not alone. We are part of a community of people cheering us on. And think about the cheers at Baptism Sunday. Those cheers need to echo in our hearts when we encounter shame. And we need to be able to be vulnerable with others to allow them to know us so that they can speak truth to us. We combat shame by being honest with trustworthy friends, family members, and spiritual leaders. Our house churches become places where we form relationships in which we can be vulnerable and honest, where we can speak the truth to one another, to scorn shame and return to joy. So joy becomes this space of strength by which we can confess boldly and courageously. It becomes this space, joy strength to be vulnerable to allow ourselves to be known, which is true joy. Moves us to places of greater connection. As shame is exposed, it begins to be healed. And as we reveal our own shame, as we are vulnerable, it gives others space for their shame to be healed. And so God then begins this healing work, not just in individuals, but in relationships and in communities. With confession, we give the opportunity to, to, uh, 
to enter into solidarity, a deeper level of connection where we recognize, yeah, me too. Yeah, I've experienced that. I know what it's like. And both the the speaker and the listener can experience a, a joy of connection that can lead to healing. Now we, we need to make sure that we understand there's, there is a difference between shame and sin. And so when, when sin is shared, there, there is an important um, space where that has to be attended to because this empathy does not say, well, sin's okay. And confessing to feeling shame is not a license to just be let off the hook for very real offenses that have hurt others. We have to take responsibility for those actions um, so that we can learn and grow and value those essential connections. Repair is necessary. Uh, In order to be liberated from shame, we actually need people to say, you're right, what you did was wrong. What you did was wrong. And then we can begin to enter into that space of forgiveness. It's important that we realize that we do mess up and we do need forgiveness. But we have to remember that that grace of God is is ready to be lavished upon us to offer forgiveness and the healing and restoration of, of the relationships. So we confess sin and don't hide it. And Psalm 32 writes a beautiful, beautiful Psalm. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. What a beautiful image. Strength is evaporating as as sin and shame lead him into hiding, but in confession, in being known, in being vulnerable experiences, the forgiveness of God and a new freedom, a new joy. So we need to be able to identify sin and also identify shame and be honest about it with trusted people. Joy strength leads us into this space of confession and vulnerability to experience grace, to scorn shame for one another by demonstrating empathy as well as reminding people of the truth of their identity, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. So to scorn shame, we have to expose it to the light, expose it to the truth, allow ourselves to be known allow ourselves, not just allow ourselves, we have to muster up that joy strength to be vulnerable. It takes a great deal of courage and strength to do so. I think about stories in, in John. Um, I know we finished a series on John, so all this is fresh in my head, but uh, when Jesus is, is talking with Nicodemus, he says that uh, people will hide from the light. Evil wants to hide from the light because they don't want to be exposed. But Jesus says he is the light of the world and that the truth will set you free. 
And so I think about that, what Jesus told Nicodemus. And then later in, in John chapter eight, we see this woman caught in adultery. And it's so striking to me that these leaders bring her out of darkness into Jesus' presence, into the light. And she is fully exposed. Everybody knows what she did. Jesus knows what she did. And Jesus extends, and I feel like in some ways, Jesus extends this invitation to the religious leaders. Those who have no sin can, can throw the first stone. And there's an opportunity for them to, to reveal their own sin, their own shame. And yet they, they walk away, their heads down, dropping rocks because they're afraid to step into that light. So they walk away in shame and in darkness while this woman who has been brought into the light walks away in new freedom, in the freedom of forgiveness, in the freedom of joy. And there's this other story, the woman at the well in John, and Jesus speaks to her shame, those spaces of sin and shame in her life where she feels shame and she is fully known. And she walks away, she runs away. If you've seen The Chosen, this is beautifully depicted. She, she leaves that place in joy. And her testimony is, come see this man who knows me. He knew everything about me. And yet he didn't condemn me. He wanted to be with me. He offered me living water. Come see this man. I am fully known by him, fully loved by him. And, and Jesus, she goes and tells everybody in the village. And Jesus has this, as his disciples come, he says, look around, the harvest is ripe. And he says, both the harvester and the planter will experience great joy. Well, who is the planter of these seeds as all of these villagers come out to see Jesus? It's this woman. So he invites her into the space of the joy of being known and her testimony to the other people allows this joy to expand and grow in her. What a beautiful story. And then I think about the end of the Gospel of John where, Pete, where Jesus comes to Peter intentionally moving in to invite Peter into confession, into facing his sin of denying Jesus, but even more important, well, not more important, equally importantly, addressing the shame that, that could have the potential of keeping Peter from the joy of his calling as Jesus' disciple. Jesus is so intentional, and we have to be intentional about exposing shame and being intentional with one another to speak truth into those situations, offering both empathy and truth, that prophetic voice of the truth of God's heart. So we scorn shame by sharing it with some trusted people. And when there's empathy shown, when there's grace shown, joy is birthed in that connection. It may not be cartwheeling or backflipping, wahoo kind of joy, but it is a simple yet deep joy of connection being formed. And out of that brave space of vulnerability, of empathy, of being honest with God, of allowing the Holy Spirit to convict of sin and expose the lies of shame with each other, of allowing ourselves to be known, joy is birthed and restored and healing takes place. We experience the empathy and grace and the joy of the Lord.
So we have these practices of repentance, of confession, and these are spaces for joy to be experienced. It is joy that calls us to these spaces, the joy of being known and loved, of turning to a God who is glad to be with us, whose look on his face is not one of disgust in us, but excitement to be with us. He may be angry at the sin, but he longs to forgive that sin, to heal that shame, to welcome us back to his joy. When you live out of shame, you live out of, there's this space that you live out of fear, anxiety, doubt, perfectionism, achievement oriented, trying to prove your worth. Shame leads to isolation and loneliness and it grows in those spaces. The beauty of repentance, the confession of sin, the, the exposing of shame is the joy of being in God's presence strips away that shame. The joy of being connected with others heals that shame. When you live out of joy, you live out of strength, freedom, grace, peace, etc. Joy leads to deeper connection and it grows in those spaces of connection. Healing shame as sins are forgiven and grace and empathy are experienced. Jesus, through his incarnation, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, through the power of his love, welcomes us into the place of joy, the joy of the Lord. This is a healing joy, a strengthening joy. Jesus heals the places of shame in our life as we open ourselves up to be fully known. And as we experience Christ's healing work, we become conduits of Jesus' healing work as we attend and attune ourselves to others, extending connection through empathy and grace, forgiveness, and the invitation to the Lord's joy. The joy of being fully known, the joy of being fully forgiven, the joy of God's lavish grace because of his delight in you, and his desire for you to be with him, enjoying the love and joy of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That joy is stronger than shame. So brothers and sisters, friends, out of his joy strength, Jesus scorned shame, enduring the cross for our sake to restore us to joy. This is really good news. May he give you the joy, strength to scorn shame that you might live out of the grace of being fully known and fully loved. You are a beloved son. You are a beloved daughter of God. And God is always glad to be with you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.